I am hitting the other record button now. Have you hit all the record buttons? I have. And now we begin. The galaxy is burning. Brother fights brother. And treason splits the Imperium of Man. This is the Age of Darkness. Whether you're a warrior of the Legiones Astartes, an adept of the Mechanicum, or just a mere mortal in a universe of madness, you'll find a place here. Welcome to the Remembrancer's Retreat, coming to you from within the depths of the Vengeful Spirit. Hello and welcome to the Remembrancer's Retreat Podcast, a Warhammer Horus Heresy and Specialist Games podcast. My name is Jesse and I'm here with Austin tonight. How you doing, Hi. Austin? Hi. Well, you know, living that quarantine life, man. It's it's crazy. Time is an illusion now. I feel like I've lost a few days this week already. And it's um, pretty we maddening. We could be recording on Tuesday. We could be recording on Friday. I don't know. And <laughs> I don't care to know. I'm in this mix match of it's probably either Monday or Thursday. I'm not sure anymore. Well, <laughs> fuck. All I know is my alarm tells me when to get on to the conference calls. So, there you go. <laughs> Such is the story of our <laughs> lives. Man, oh, yeah. Sad. But we're here. We're here for yeah. you guys. We've been putting out a lot of content lately. You and Steven have been uh, kicking ass with the... Uh, uh, lost transmissions. A yeah, lot of I've fun. been having a lot of I've been having a lot of fun with that, um, and apparently people are at least vaguely interested. You know, yeah. we we caught people at peak listening to podcast time <laughs> when they have literally nothing better to do. You know, it's funny. I I don't know if it is or not personally because I always listen to podcasts on my commute. You know, that's a fair point. There there are some people that are like, yeah. Um, so weirdly. And he's probably going to hear this now, but my my wife, uh, one of her coworkers, you know, she's working from home, uh-huh. and I guess uh, not this past week, but the week before when I was off because I'm working week on week off for this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were just the pre meeting while people are getting online chatting, and she was like, "Oh, my husband's like painting," you know probably 30 like stuff in the game in the game room. He's like, Oh, what does he do? Like, Oh, 30 K. And he goes, is he the Austin from the podcast? (laughs) That's cool. I guess he, he'd uh, started listening to us a couple of months ago. Uh Um, and has kind of slowed down because he was listening during the commute to the podcast. Oh yeah. If you're not commuting, I guess not listening to the podcast. That's fine. They'll have like a huge back. They'll have a huge backlog to uh, to take right. a listen to when all is said and done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. That being said, because you guys have done what two episodes now since the last one uh, I was there. Because we were going to do Dark Angels on like episode three or something, but then uh, I was yeah, working so, and stuff. So you guys just kind of so took and ran yeah. with it. Unless yeah, you've we've done three episodes total, three or four. Uh, Three. We were thinking about doing another recording this <laughs> like early afternoon today. No, because no, no, no. I think y'all did a uh, four. Because we did two. I was oh, on. Yeah, I was so on two. Four. Yeah, yeah. Not being said, it's episode Time three. Nothing. Yes, episode three. Because we're professional now and have zero episode zeros <laughs> for the pilot. 
like yeah. we were going to stop if nobody listens. Engage an interest that way. Uh, but we, yeah, so we've we've done uh, kind of an overview on the basics of the game as far as ship types and attack and like ordnance and fighters and whatnots. Mm-hmm. Um, did like the big guns. We've done orders, and the next, you know, however many are probably going to be more about individual ships and legions and what legions like to use what ships uh, in game and in fluff. And it should be some fun times. Fun times. Gotcha. So um, it's just you and me tonight, but it's actually pretty good that you're here because we got an email from a listener, Nicholas Q. Um, I'll go through some of this. Uh, he had a question about Titanicus, and I think you would probably be one of the better people to ask about. So he says, um, what sort of terrain do you use for Titanicus that's enough to make Pophirons fun? Do you use destructible terrain rules, and do you play with the hostile environment stuff? All right, so <clears throat> starting with how much terrain does it take to make Porphyrians fun? So I've played against Porphyrians, not like every game, but I've played a decent amount against them, I feel. Um, and I've played against them with what I think, like, personally is enough terrain. Mm-hmm just in general, and I've played on very much less than that. Mm-hmm. And that game, I, I I got a little lucky and wiped them out because you fix Perfurians by just dropping uh, Bellicosa cannons yeah. on them. <laughs> <laughs> like, do that turn one. Like, what's hard? Um, but I could definitely see how that would be annoying because they had the whole fucking board they could see across. So, mm-hmm. but my rule of thumb for my like games I play at my house is you need two pieces of terrain that are big enough to completely obscure a warhound, mm-hmm. right? Then you need two pieces of terrain big enough to completely conceal a reaver, two big enough to completely conceal a warlord, and at least two pieces of area terrain which I try to kind of like the footprint of those keep about the size of the warlord blocking terrain so it's kind of like uh, what like maybe six to eight inches and then maybe four across mm-hmm. and sometimes I'll take that and make like instead of you know an eight by four and an eight by four there'll be an eight by four and two four by four pieces of like area terrain Gotcha. That don't really hide anything. Right. Um, but I found that that amount of terrain gives a really tactical game. There's still some good firing lanes. So if you have, like, Steven loves him, his warlords, uh, and I have a very, you know, backfield shooty warlord myself, there's still good commanding fields of fire for them, but they can't do whatever they want all the time. Uh, meanwhile, there's plenty of terrain for things like, you know, knights and warhounds to kind of hide around and run about and have a fun time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on that amount of terrain, Prophyrians, like, they're good because they can command those, those fire lanes, right? Mm-hmm. But they don't have an unobstructed view of the whole goddamn battlefield. And that's important. Yeah. Um, 
because I, I see a lot of the terrain, like a lot of the tables for Titanicus, they'll have like one start, like one Grandmaster box of terrain or maybe two, but they won't actually have a single building big enough to hide anything. Mm-hmm. You know, like they might right. have, oh, look at this really, like it's a cool tall building, but right. if you stick a Warhound <laughs> behind it, half the Warhound is still sticking out, you know? So right. <laughs> it, I mean, got enough terrain to make it. Yeah. It's, it's got to like, make well, your strategy. Yeah. What, exactly. if, what if you played 30 K on a table that had, you know, two sets of, uh, Aegis defense lines on it. Mm-hmm. That's it. Of course you just like, it would be a different and not as cool game. So, yeah, unfortunately, I will say that the amount of terrain that I have for using just straight GW stuff was like three of those Grandmaster boxes, maybe a little bit more. I think it was two Grandmaster boxes. And then I had um, uh, whatever they call their biggest box of the normal terrain. Oh, yeah, I don't yeah, that one. <laughs> which one it is. It's got like eight sprues. Civitas or, Imperialis? Or yeah, it's got like eight nature. sets of each of those sprues yeah. or whatever. Um, and it took most of all three of those to get the amount of terrain that I think makes a good board. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is... Because you get a lot of terrain, but that stuff cheap. eats up quick. It is not yes. cheap either. Uh, however, there are just really easy, easy ways to do it. Um, homebrew if you have uh i like the trader trader joe's sells this pineapple juice i think strawberry <laughs> kiwi juice uh-huh. and they're in cans but are, they're uh, skinnier than a normal can and taller than a normal can that's aldi um, nord for our uh, european listeners oh yeah aldi nord um <laughs> but the cool thing about it is the the metal is also like tougher than normal so it's not yeah. like a coke can extremely sturdy and i don't yeah, they're real sturdy, and like I love steel instead of aluminum. Terrain. I think. Yeah, it's something crazy, um, and I'll take two or three of those, and you know, glue them together, put like a little, the little tiniest building you can make for Titanicus, sit that up against one of them, and kind of you know, put some green stuff or some modeling clay or whatever to kind of make it all look like one big structure that's got some, you know, dirt pressed up against it and that'll block a warlord. And that was, you know, three bucks and <laughs> got some lovely delicious pineapple juice out of it. There you go. So you start being a little creative with your terrain and uh, let's face it, guys, you don't have anything better to do right now. So on your once a week trip to get groceries, get some cans and think about Titanicus terrain. It's exciting. Um, so yeah, so that's my, my answer to profies. What were the other, the other part of the question? Uh, I lost the email. Damn it. Jeff. <laughs> it's here somewhere. Um, ba, ba, ba. super professional, Jesse. Good job. Right. We can edit all this out. You won't, <laughs> but we could. No, no. <laughs> that's the beauty of it. You're stuck here. So you're going to listen to it anyway. Yeah. Uh, Nick, 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 there we go. Um, uh, do you use destructible terrain rules? 
Ah, Jesus. <laughs> sorry, almost choked to death on a strawberry. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, I'm glad to <laughs> no, see. You, glad to hear you're okay. You're all right. Um, I had not just because I thought it was really like complicated for what was going on. However, mm. for Adepticon, may the Emperor guard its spirit until next year. Mm. Uh, the AT event that I was playing in was using Destructible Terrain. So okay. I got in a few games with uh, Dave and Steven to, you know, practice all of their craziness and sure. use the Destructible Terrain rules because, shit, that's the way it goes. And it was awesome. Yeah. Not only from just, like, the cool my giant robot is blowing up all these buildings perspective, um, but the tactics, right? Like, there were a couple of times, you know, not really thinking about what life was like that I'd run and hide my warhounds behind a building and, <laughs> you know, thinking, fuck Dave, there's nothing you can do about this. You're done. They're going to pop out around that building next turn. And you're, why are you, Oh, you've blown up the building and now they're just sitting there. Touche. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I originally thought they would add too much time, like extra time to the game. Cause you know, Oh, you got to, figure out what their armor values are. And if shots miss, you got to see if they hit the buildings. <laughs> and, uh, it seemed like a lot. I'm reading the rules. It seemed like a lot. Mm -hmm. um, it really isn't. And it added a ton of fun to the game. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to come down firmly. I will only play destructible terrain from now on. And that's the end of it. Um, because it did slow the game down, you know, a little bit the more dice you're rolling. It, it takes longer. Probably added um, that much more immersion to the, to the game. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Um, I, I don't like, I'm trying to think of an analogy of things I do for games and I really can't think of anything. Um, but yeah, it, it's a lot of fun. If you haven't used them, I strongly recommend it. If you think, well, they're going to, you know, make my three hour game, a four hour game. It won't, it's not that much more time. Um, and they're super fun. And if you don't like it, there's plenty of people that don't play with the destructible building rules. So, you know, it's not the end of the world. Hmm. And uh, another question is, uh, do you play with the hostile environment stuff? Which I'm assuming is probably along the same lines as the destructible terrain? <laughs> Actually, no. No. Um, I play with the hazardous environment rules all the damn time. <laughs> Uh, we started doing it, uh, Steven and I, when I think Doom and Mullet came out, and we were like, oh, let's play with some of the destructible terrain rules, or not the destructible terrain, some of the hostile battlefields from some of these other things. Yeah, see what happens. And they are a ton of fun. Uh, yeah. It's, I wouldn't, like, if you were trying to play, like, a super, super serious tournament game, no, because they're wild. Um, like, they're, there's one we played uh, that's on like a water world. Okay. Or like a flooded area. Uh-huh. And you can just fall into sinkholes. So at the <laughs> end of every move, uh, you roll either, I want to say a D10, maybe even a D6. And on a one, your Titan falls into a hole and can only use the carapace, carapace mounted weapons. Oh wow! That's, and it's and it's <laughs> minus one. It's like it's minus one to be to be hit. Oh wow! That's it. So like it doesn't do any damage. Sinks into the ocean. Damage. Yeah. That's doesn't cool. Do any damage uh, unless you're a knight. Knights 
vanish and it's just remove a knight from the banner. Oh, damn. That sucks. <laughs> uh, Steven had a four knight banner reduced to one. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I'd never shot at them. <laughs> um, but that was kind of nerve wracking because, you know, I like Steven came around the corner with a reaver, had my poor warhound dead to rights and his reaver fell in the hole. <laughs> and so I surrounded that reaver. Like I moved a couple other Titans around to take advantage of it being in the hole. Right. But it was minus one to hit. So I didn't actually hit the damn thing. So there's, <laughs> so I guess there's like a, a warhound's of- also completely useless in that case too, then. Yeah, no, my warhound fell in once and it didn't <laughs> like, all right, I guess you're just not fuck. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's another one that I super like. It's uh, fighting. It's it's supposed to be the mission on Beta Garmin where they land on like the the mega structure. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And there's a couple of different rules, but the one I liked the best was you can pick a point at the ground, and it's like armor fifteen or fourteen or something, like high, pretty pretty good armor. Mm-hmm. And if you score a point of damage against the ground, it creates a large template that is line of sight blocking. Gotcha. And, like it's wild because <laughs> it's just like those blind missiles, right? Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. except it takes a gun. Um, I thought that was really fun because for the first time we were both using split fire. Mm-hmm. So you could have your one gun, like make like fire guns at the target do whatever damage, and then that last weapon, you fire at the ground to kind of, like, you know, stop you from being shot back. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they've got a ton of them now. I want to say they've got, like, 20-some different in hostile environments, uh, each of which has, uh, I want to say, they average, like, three weird things that are going on to the battlefield. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, sometimes they mess with leadership. Sometimes... They screw like there was one um, where if you passed your orders on a 10, instead of the order you wanted, you got a random order. Oh, wow. Because it's just like Vox shenaniganry and all that. So they're they're a ton of fun. Um, I don't always play with like all three of the rules because sometimes, you know, it's it's a lot. And if I just want to drink and roll dice. Maybe we'll only use one of them. Sure. Uh, the guys, the guys who are running a Depicon, were doing the same thing, except uh, their environments. They each had three things, um, but it was variable as to which of those three like bad things you would get. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So you know, sometimes you would only play with one. Sometimes you play with all three. Uh, I've got the deck of cards for that. It's amazing, and I'll be. <laughs> probably playing with those because they're I'm not a hundred percent sure if they're if they just straight ported rules from the books into the cards or if they're you know somewhat homebrew mm-hmm. but they're a lot of fun and the ones in the books are amazing so yeah if you have not played with the crazy environmental effects for Titanicus give it a go um, sometimes they don't do a whole lot for the game just you know one or two little quirks that'll rarely come up Sometimes your warhound don't be within two inches of a warlord from the rear and fall into a hole and not be able to shoot at anything. It'd be like that. It'd be like that sometimes. (laughs) Very cool. Yeah. 
And he also asks, uh, how often do we do events with Titanicus? He's going to be in uh, Norfolk, Virginia, starting in the summer of next year, and he's looking forward to get some games in and is more than willing to help uh, run some events as well. So, Well, we'll certainly want to play events. For um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> of course, given the current circumstances, who the hell knows? Yeah. Um, but I would certainly like to have some more Titanicus events. For sure. Um, we ran the one. It was a lot of fun. Uh, shenanigans abounded. And uh, now we're in a pandemic. and can't play with our little toys and big groups of nerds. Yep. So. But hopeful for the future. Yep. Cool. So, with the questions out of the way today. Oh, there was a question on Discord regarding the Dark Angel ship Dark Sovereign. They wanted to know yes. what that ship class was, and you digs, you had done some digging. I know on Heresy Grad School, when I was on the episode, we kind of speculated it was probably an Eldar ship of some sort of type. But uh, I told me earlier before we started that you disagree. Yeah, so the Dark Sovereign, and I really wish I had my Book 6 stuff up, just so I could like quote some things at people. Um, but naturally I don't because I'm unprepared. Um, but the dark sovereign, <laughs> gotcha. Sorry. <laughs> Balls. Um, it's a fun ship. Uh, I hadn't looked too deeply at it cause I don't own book six personally cause it had nothing I was interested in. Get in paperback here pretty soon. Oh, yeah, you're right. It might be a good time to start. It's got Black Shields. It's got Knights Errant. It's got the Shadow Wars. There's plenty of stuff in there you'd be interested in. Yeah, but, you know, like, there's shit going down, man. Yeah, shit yeah. going down. <laughs> it happens. Um, and now I'm just stalling for time while trying to see if I can find our uh, my copy of it. And I can't. And it's driving me crazy. All right, well, I'm just going to go with it, and if okay. I miss <laughs> miss uh, something, just assume, readers, that I'm leaving things out that prove my point. <laughs> or, listeners, Jesus, nobody should read a transcript of this. Anyway, the Dark Sovereign um, is a really weird ship. And the only, the only things we know about it are it has batteries, uh, which tell you nothing. Like gun batteries or batteries that power the ship? Weapons batteries. Weapons, okay. But in, in Battlefleet Gothic and by extension the 40K universe, weapons batteries are a specific thing. Mm-hmm. And then there are also lance batteries, which are okay. a specific thing. Sure. And in book six, the only thing that's mentioned is batteries. It fires its batteries of weapons at things. There's a couple other things we know. It has launch bays because it launches uh, Charybdis uh, as well as Kaistis assault rams. And it's described as like not a normal like strike cruiser. Mm-hmm. Um, this means it's a light cruiser. I'm assuming because if it's, hey, no, nobody says, oh, well, that's not a thing that is similar to the thing it actually is, you know? <laughs> um, you know, that's it's not a Lehman Russ, it's a Predator. They're both battle tanks. So before you get too get deep, it. yes, back to the batteries again, 
Do, and um, Battlefleet Gothic are like the Eldar ships and things like that. Are they classified as batteries as well with their weaponry, or is that... Yes. Okay. They also have batteries of weapons. So from there, you're not you're not wrong there. Okay. That's not trying to every, pull you one way. I just want to make sure that I'm all cleared out on my side. Yeah, no. Every, every ship in Battlefleet Gothic, it's weapons batteries, lances, other. Yeah. From um, a gameplay standpoint. Yeah. And weapons batteries are very much like universal. Every fleet, mm-hmm. damn near every... Every ship has weapons batteries. Mm-hmm. Um, so it says it's got batteries. It says it's got launch bays, and it's about the size of a light cruiser. There are a couple other things that give slight hints. Uh, at one point, it's described as cutting another ship with its batteries, quote unquote. Uh, that would imply that it, at least some of those batteries are lances. Um, because weapons batteries, generally speaking, are described as causing explosions. Uh-huh. Uh, it's like macro cannon, big-ass plasma cannon, things like that. Those are weapons batteries. Beams of coherent light are lances, and they slice and dice. Um, that being said, it also fires multiple directions at once, uh, which doesn't tell you... You know, okay, yes, some of the weapons are lances, but are all of them? Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) And I would argue no, because of the amount of damage it does. Uh, Lances tend to be nasty, and in the books, they're a little more damaging than in the game. Because, you know, in in the books, a single lance can slice an escort in half, and that's true in Battlefleet Gothic as well, but you have to drop the shields first. So you would need two lances to do it. Anyway, I'm talking crazy at this point. But, so it's got at least some lances. Uh, I assume based on the amount of firepower it's putting out, it has weapons batteries. Because weapons batteries, Mm -hmm. there's just more of them. They get more shots. And at very close range, weapons batteries are devastating. Right. Uh, Then comes the interesting description. So we get two, like, physical descriptions of the ship. Mm Mm-hmm. I sent, the, uh, I sent the I sent the link your way to Austin. If you need a, I don't know where you're reading it from. Where are you? Where did you? On Messenger. Messenger. Oh my God! All right, stand by, ladies and gentlemen, so I can get the actual quotes here. Um. Yeah, like that straight out of Monty Python. <laughs> yeah, oh, and this is on page uh, 66. Oh, you found it. Seven. Yeah, where'd it go? Page one. Yeah, so the Dark Sovereign gets mentioned uh, on page 69, yeah, it does, of uh, book six. 
and it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so, uh, and it starts, I want to say, it might start like the page before that. It gets a little shout out or the page, af- uh, page after it also continues. It, I think it's uh, page 67 it's uh, originally mentioned. As the sable ship turned around almost lazily in an arc towards the dozens of lumbering transports and freighters whose protection within the debris belt of Xana-1 was worthless now against this wolf among the flock, and she began to kill. Secondary plasma batteries and defensive lasers spat from the spent weapons platforms uh, yeah. toward the murderous vessel, but they were little to even give her pause. On Xana-2, the cold mines which ruled the forge fanes quickly identified the vessel for she was a unique killing engine alongside which their own forces had fought many decades before the Rangdon Wars. She was no mere Legionis Astarte strike cruiser, but a lone relic of old night, a thing recovered from the permafrosts of Ganymede by the Emperor's own hand. Her name was the Dark Sovereign, and she belonged to the First Legion, to the Dark Angels. Yeah. So, again, no mere Legionis Astarte strike cruiser implies... It's at least kind of a Legion as a starting strike cruiser, right? <laughs> yeah. Like it. So, so it's I'm, being I'm compared to that. Yeah. So it's probably about that size, mm-hmm. but it seems to have a much nastier uh, killing <laughs> killing power than uh, usual. I'm sorry. Give me one second. Yeah, it's fine. Get. It's like a, it's like a Zoom recording. Everybody's got their pets. Well, you got a dog. Let me see the dog. Whiskey, you're being crazy. Calm down. (laughs) All right. I don't even know what she was yelling at. Just happy to be alive. Um. So yeah, it. But it's doing far too much damage, even like from a fluff perspective, Mm -hmm. uh, than a regular strike cruiser. So it's got some sort of fancy, fancy technology, and it's described as. (laughs) Whiskey. Jesus Christ, puppy. <laughs> You're normally the quiet one. What is going on? Um, anyway, so it's got two descriptions. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one is that it's arrow-shaped, which is interesting, because that's normally how... Or, I'm sorry, not arrow-shaped, blade-shaped. Like a knife, uh, which is how sometimes how they describe the chaos cruisers with that arrowhead prow. Yeah, yeah. Um, so kind of a distinct, you know, a knife is different from an arrow, so it looks a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And the other one is that it's it's got clean lines, right? It's they're described as like near smooth hull. Right. I'm trying to find that, and of course, this isn't a like word searchable document. Um, but anyway, so the near smooth hull makes you think Eldar, right? Yeah. But there's a couple of problems with this. The first is, uh, like the craft world, you know, pirate Eldar, normal Eldar, they have sails, they have solar sails. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to describe an Eldar ship at all and not mention the sails, you're wrong. Like it, it just, but the blade though. Yeah. The blade look also isn't right for Eldar. 
Um, the Dark Eldar ships aren't like if it, if it was an Eldar dragon ship. Like if if it had described a solar sail at all, I would one hundred percent believe it's Eldar. Uh-huh. Um, the dragon ship without the sail is sort of like a knife dildo kind of shape. <laughs> I yeah, talk to your kids <laughs> listening to this podcast. Uh, <laughs> And the Dark Eldar ships are just real ugly looking, but they all have barbs, right? So it's not a blade, like, they could be made of blades, but it's not a singular shape, right? And mm-hmm. there's another thing that really makes, like, puts the nail the nail in the coffin for it being an Eldar ship, and that's the way it describes the shields, um, at one point, it just straight up flies into the middle of a fleet and kind of catches the dark mech guys like, off guard because you don't do that. It's real dumb. <laughs> uh, so it says right here, instead of the close pass to bring her weapons to bear with maximum effect, which naval doctrine dictated and the mechanic and lots of carburetors, cogitators and no doubt predicted, the Dark Sovereign dived into the heart of the defensive formation, her guns suddenly silent, all available power directed to her shields to weather the storm of counterfire at point-blank range. And she does. That's not how Eldar ships work. Uh, Eldar ships have hollow fields. They essentially create false images of the ship nearby. It makes it really hard to target them. And like in in game terms they have a two up save in a game where nobody gets a save naturally uh, and in fluff terms it's described as like whole squadrons of imperial cruisers will fire at them mm-hmm. and just not hit them but the second any like lance or weapons battery hits an eldar ship it has a real bad time because they're <laughs> made of cotton candy gotcha uh so it can't be that. It's also really interesting because Imperial ships and Chaos ships, uh, they're big and ungainly, and while they're massively redundant, you can't swap. You know, you can't go, all right, well, we need extra power to our voids, so let's just shut down all the guns and reroute. That doesn't happen because, well, one it doesn't give you a whole lot more power because the macro cannon is, you know, firing a Volkswagen bug and the loading and aiming of that gun is done by like a thousand deck slaves tugging on giant chains. Like there's not a lot of, it doesn't give you a lot of battery power. Right. It's manually right. operated. Uh, which also makes me think that there's some interesting things going on with its weapons batteries. Uh, weapons batteries are normally a mix of hard munitions and macro plasma. And theoretically, you know, if you had your ship set up that way, I can imagine, you know, okay, if it's nothing but plasma and lasers, you could redirect that energy to shields. Uh, in 40k, you don't because the shields are what the shields are and you could just overload them and blow them out rather than like make them stronger. Uh, just because of the weird ways that void shields work. So it really is just kind of a unique light cruiser that probably is human made. 
but also like very much men of iron type of star trekky sort of ship uh which is just sort of wild um so for battlefleet heresy you can actually build the dark sovereign uh using the experimental ship rules which can be found on rr30k.com go to rr30k.com and hit that battlefleet heresy companion tab it can indeed so one of the things i did last night was try and figure out what exactly this could look like in game uh, and the answer is it's ridiculous uh, it's 205 points where a normal light cruiser is like 120 like mm-hmm. it's more points than most cruisers the dark sovereign would be uh, it's a light cruiser goes 25 centimeters because it doesn't say it goes any faster than normal so figure uh, one of the best ways you can identify a ship just you know, in space in general, is by its energy signature, which, you know, the engines are part of that. So presumably the engines are, oh, they're about the same as a strike cruiser. 25 centimeters. Uh, Got a six-up armor, because it can take a shit ton of punishment. A couple of shields, which is the maximum amount of shields a light cruiser can have. Uh, Two launch bays, because at one point it seems to launch multiple squadrons at once. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, which implies that there are at least two two launch bays on the ship. Uh, probably, like, I just assumed the prow, because that's where the strike cruiser's launch bays are as well. Uh, and then for weapons, I was kind of torn. Um, I gave it three prow lances, because that's kind of the standard light cruiser lance armament. Just, you know, fire in ahead with your giant lasers. Mm-hmm. And then I decided that port and starboard weapons would be bombardment cannon. And in my head, I'm assuming more of like a fancy plasma projectors than actual what a bombardment cannon is canonically. But it's the only thing I can think of that would give you both the killing power and the amount of shots that this thing seems to put out and still be like the right amount of dice for a light cruiser to be rolling. Uh, And I also, because of the blade shape to it, decided that they would be proud. So normally a battery goes left or right. uh, Because that's just how Imperial ships are designed. But if you were actually building a spaceship smartly, your guns that point left and point right would also be able to point forward. (laughs) So these do. uh, Which gives you five... uh, Strength 5 weapons batteries, port and starboard, or one strength 10 shot to the front. And that is about what it seems to be putting out in the little example that we get in Book 6. 205 points and wild. Uh, There really isn't a way with the basic rules to represent, you know, shunting power from weapons to shields or vice versa. Um, so you can't do anything about that, but uh-huh. I've thought about it <laughs> and, um, lost transmissions might have more to say about that. So I'm saying, there. there you go. Uh, but yeah, it looks like it's just straight up. Like it's not anything humanity could produce and hasn't been anything humanity could produce in 10,000 years. And it's not something anyone could produce. Um, like at, you know, 
the dawn of the 31st millennium, which is kind of wild that the Dark Angels just have one sitting around. Because uh, you guys just love committing war crimes. Eh. Yeah. Can't make lemonade without busting a few eggs, am I right? I... Inshallah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there you have it. It is, but it is very definitely not any, it's not a known Xeno ship. Right. Okay. And say that for sure. It's not like Freyal or even any of like the weird ones. Um, Cause nobody really has smooth lines on a ship except for Eldar and Tau, obviously, which it's not Tau cause Tau are still banging rocks together. <laughs> uh, and it's not like a Nikasar Dao because that's got a very distinctive shape to it that isn't blade shaped uh, so yeah just some weird sci-fi shit I will say Relic of the Dark Age uh, yeah Relic of the Dark Age man read The Two Moons by James Hogan you might find out where it's from Ooh. saving that for something else Oh, no, that was going to be a throwaway. Oh, okay. <laughs> but it actually talks about, in that book, uh, humans in, like, the mid-2000s discover an alien spaceship entombed on ice in Ganymede, and, you know, shenanigans abound. Oh, the Ganymede. But I don't think they ever actually pull it out of the ice, so maybe the Emperor came and got it a couple of millennia later. Who knows? That's hilarious, actually. Yeah, I mean... That's kind of and an the, interesting coincidence. What's the name of that book again? So the Omnibus is The Two Moons, which has the first two books in the series. Um, but this isn't actually, Warhammer, though, right? No, not Warhammer no. at all. Um, interesting. So Inherit the Stars is the first one, and then the second one. What is it called? So The Gentle Giants of Ganymede <laughs> is the one with the actual with the actual spaceship involved. Because I think in the first one, they're wrong. That's yeah, maybe so they funny. find it in the first book. It's been a long time. I said, um, but yeah, and that <laughs> book, you know, it was written in the late seventies. I think uh-huh. giants of Ganymede came out in like 79 and you know, GW likes putting weird callbacks to that things. coincidence is crazy. Like to quote the, yeah, so, quote the book page 67, a lone relic of old night, a thing recovered from the permafrosts of Ganymede. By the Emperor's own hand. That's pretty, yeah. that's so pretty like, awesome. You can say it's a relic of old night, but it's even if older it's than 10, that. Ten thousand years old. Like, how do you know it's a relic of old night rather than something a million years old and that just you know because they download like they do weird shit to the computers on the game on in the book. So it's got like mm. English readouts and whatnot. And I stand behind the fact that you know. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I thought, thought it was exciting. But yeah, that's that's my two cents. Very cool. Oh, the Dark Sovereign. But uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun to just sort of try and wrap my head around it and do some poking around. So if anybody else notes any weird ships, or even just ships you think are cool but don't know what they are and want to talk about them, you know, send us a message. We'll get to it either here or in Lost Transmissions. You know, gives us something to talk about. Because God knows we, we never find stuff to talk about. <laughs> no, never. Impossible. 
But I want to say, let's see, who said that? I was either trying to catch you uh, ask that question. It was either Gurner.treeofwo or Andrew N. One second. So, I don't know. Thank you to our listeners on Discord. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely covered. Thank you. <clears throat> so, um, let's see. Anything else going on? Uh, last week, last Saturday, they had another reveal for the Horse Heresy. Yeah. They uh, showed Better Call Saul Tarvitz, the first loyalist. <laughs> Gotta say, I really like his model. It's a really, really nice model. And it's also weirdly generic. To some extent. I mean, he's got uh, some cool stuff there. I think... Like, I Go ahead. Like, whoop, you there? I'm here. Okay. Uh, generic, yes. I could definitely see him. You can definitely put him in as pretty much any type of predator for Emperor's Children. Well. Um, I'm pretty sure he has a sniper rifle strapped to his back. Does he? He does have it in his war. His war gear has him carrying a sniper rifle. And if you look over to his uh, knee pad over there, you see I this. I see that. Okay. Yeah. Maybe he's not as uh, interchangeable as I thought. Because I was just looking. Because, you know, I don't play Emperor's Children. So he's Same. cool. But what do I get out of it? Um, but he is a like, loyalist. Well, you know, he is a loyalist. He, he's a loyalist. And that Palantine Aquila has a thing kind of blocking a head, so it could just be a normal Aquila, which everyone's mm-hmm. allowed to have. Mm-hmm. Shoulder pads are Emperor children, but those are certainly going to be separate pieces. You slide right. your own shoulder pads on there. For sure. So the only thing you've got that's really generic to the third is the knee little pad. Roman numeral three on the one knee pad. I'd never be able to get that off of there. Oh, no, impossible. <laughs> so, so he's just a really badass Praetor for any... Not even, well, and the, the elbow pad, it looks like, might also have a three, but nothing hard to remove. Uh, yeah. And he's a really cool model, so, like, any... Love that, uh, looks like a grenade bandolier strapped around his front. Looks really yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it might actually be for the sniper rifle now that I... It could be. Now could that you be. pointed that out, those might be a couple of, uh, sniper rounds on top there. Mm-hmm. There might be grenades. Yeah, he's great. And one of the best faces, I think, GW has sculpted... Uh, on a marine, just yeah. full sculpted stop. and painted, should say. Yeah, yeah. Like they did a really good job with this guy. Yeah, yeah I like him a lot. I was a little surprised. Like my second uh, reaction was like, they haven't made a model for him yet. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, I guess not. And my first reaction was actually, why? Why so tarvis? <laughs> It's Kinda just such a weird... Way out of left field. Because he dead, right? He dead. Like, he dead. memory serves, he real dead. So it's not like he's coming back for the Solar War. Um, <laughs> so I don't know what he's doing here. I don't know, but... I'm, just, like, being cool. I'm tempted to Shh. dig out my old uh, Nathaniel Garrow and get a Saul Tarvitz and just have a little small uh, Shattered That'd Legion... Just do a kill team. Yeah. Oh, that's Characters true, too. only. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not a bad idea, either. Anyway. Mm. Just a hero showdown. 
but yeah, like it's such a weird. Cause I don't think there were a lot of like Ember's Children players that were screaming for salt harvest, you know, like. Yeah, no, I can't. I mean, he's imagine. cool. He's cool. Don't get me wrong. He's a badass. The model's beautiful. Again, that being said, cool. do, do they have a generic Praetor for Emperor's Children right now? I don't know. I'm going to check out right now while we're looking, but I don't yeah, think so. Ask Caro. She plays Emperor's Children. She should know these things. She might come on a little bit later. Um, Let's see. But it got me thinking as to why. Like, was this a sculpt that got 90% done 10 years ago and they <laughs> didn't finish it? Like, it is. Maybe. It does seem weird. They're coming out with but he some. Does, I will say he backing. does have, yeah, he does have that organic look to him, like the older models did. But if you want to start really getting that rumor mongering, breaking news shenanigans, oh, the talk of the uh, the plastic. If you were so the the plastic box sets have been about the start of the heresy, Kauth. Mm-hmm. Prospero. But really, what's the start of the heresy? It's Istvan, Istvan 3, yeah. Or 5. Istvan me. 3. Or, yeah. No, three, well, 3. 3 and 5. Really, yeah. 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 Not, not even the Dropside Massacre, but. Like, I mean, then you can also say Davin, but anyway. The re- well, but there wasn't <laughs> a big battle on Davin. True. There was a big battle on Istvan 3. And who, my friend, was on Istvan 3? Saul Tarvitz, leading the charge. There it is. Um, also there was supposed to be some, you know, Adepticon, the most amazing reveal we've done in ever. (laughs) And while there were cool things in the Adepticon reveal, it wasn't out of the common way, you know, Mm -hmm. like there was some really cool stuff that was, was revealed. And and even since the, you know, quote unquote Adepticon online reveal, Mm -hmm. But if they were going to do a new plastic starter set for Heresy, would you announce that and then say, BT Dubs, uh, you won't be able to get your hands on this for I don't know how long (laughs) because there's a pandemic? I mean, to be fair, that's pretty much everything right now. Yeah. Every reveal they have, you're like, you don't know when you're going to get it. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's hard to say that I can't... I don't know, the model it doesn't look like it's plastic to me. Oh, no, I don't think it's a plastic model. Okay. Um, oh, but, but I see what you're you, saying. But like, to be released alongside uh, a new plastic box set, you know, oh, hey, we're doing Istvan 3, and it's going to be friggin'... Because you know, there, there's never but then on, a real... The flip well, side, I guess they did, they did Aramon. They did Aramon, and then... I guess that Space Wolf isn't an actual named character in the book No, seven, he's got his own think. rules now, or but he eight. hadn't been... Yeah, he hadn't been... He was in book eight, but he hadn't been, like, a guy until right that moment. Gotcha. Uh, nobody likes Aramon, so... Talk about <laughs> Thousand Sons. But he does have a sweet model, though. Aramon's model is model. pretty awesome. Um... But yeah, no, if they wanted to grab like it's it's fun to think about because yeah. honestly, an Istvan three Yeah, an Istvan three box set would be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can reintroduce yeah. Mark II if you wanted to. 
Mark two, three, and four. Screw it. There would be the thing. You could bring a bunch of Mark two or even Mark three. Because honestly, I don't know. Maybe it's just my personal bias, but I like Mark three is like screams heresy. It's it's great for me too. But I will say there are some legions that just look like awesome in Mark four. Yeah, like Raven Guard need Mark four. I'll admit. I feel like, I feel like cool. Yeah, Raven Guard. I strongly feel like the Sons of Horus are definitely Mark Four. Like they even call it out in the first books. And I, for me, I haven't really done a Mark Three Sons of Horus before, but I feel like that Mark Four just, mm-hmm. I don't know, fits their scheme. Same with the Emperor's Children, actually. Yeah, yeah, they like being pretty. Yeah, some of the legions that are a little more sleeker that deal more with like speed and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I see the Mark Four on them a whole lot better. Yeah, yeah. But you know, the brute force ones, salt marines and bikes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the brute force legions, like you know, Iron Hands and Dark Angels and yeah. things. So Mark Three, Mark Two, they look pretty cool in that. Yeah. But yes, who knows? Who knows? I, yeah. Not us for sure. It's it's my happy <laughs> dream at this point. I have no actual rumors from anything like a legitimate source on this. This is just me wish listing. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> but he is a cool model, and it is really weird that they would finally get to him. Especially when I think, for traders at least, people are wanting stuff from the siege, right? Like, yeah. I, I want Demon Angron. I want, you know, uh, does Fafnir Ron have a model? He's, uh, he's uh, all over the place. And, uh, no, I don't think he does. The siege books. And with all of, like, you, you know, G- GW doesn't do anything, you know, on its own. Like, you know these Solar War, Siege of Terra books. They tie in they somehow. To, yeah, they tie it in the model somehow. So to, to have kind of carved out a slot for what I can only assume is a bunch of character models to put in Saul Tarvitz makes me think there needs to be a reason for that. Yeah, oh, it's fun. Who knows? Oh, yeah. Do you got anything uh, else you want to talk about tonight, Austin? Um, not a whole lot that I can think of. like that Because that was the only big heresy like thing to happen since the last time. Yeah. Um, also, though I will say, the sons of bitches. <laughs> what happened? Um, so they talk about in, in uh, the Warhammer community page about Salt Harvest, they talk about how Salt Harvest was the first space Marine from the Horus heresy ever named. Uh, huh. Okay. And it says, you know, way back in 1988 space Marine. And then there's oh, yeah. a little icon <laughs> and then you yes. scroll down. This is known as an epic scale game. Don't tease me like that, GW. <laughs> You're going to start using the E word. You better have some tiny space marines to back it up. God damn. Oh, boy. All in good time, man. Oh, inshallah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, with that, I think we can uh, call it a night. I want to thank right. everybody for uh, oh, we, 
or we can go on to another episode later. I don't know. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. But uh, we're at we're actually at almost an hour right now. So, oh, well, beautiful. I yeah. rambled quite a lot then. Hey, you did a good job. Thank you, Austin. I, I do what I can. <laughs> I'd like to thank all everyone who listens to us and rates us on iTunes and gives us a uh, recommendations on Facebook. We greatly appreciate it. And definitely we'd like to thank our patrons. If you are interested in becoming a patron, go to patreon.com forward slash rr30k podcast. And uh, starting with our top tier patrons, we have Alex Self, who actually bumped his uh, pledge up a dollar, so we greatly appreciate that. Thank you, Alex. We also have Jason Tick, Jacob Dillon, Matthew Boyce, Mr. Baldwick, Garner.Tree of Woe, Joe from Music City Heresy, Chris Mack, thank you guys so much for being uh, top-tier patrons. We uh, enjoy doing this uh, podcast, and if you guys support, we like to make it even better. Going on to our Centurion tier, we have Scott LeMay, Andrew N., Black Label Painting, Minis by Applesauce, Angry Boy, John Christensen, Mark Henry, M. Hernandez. Again, thank you all so very much. Uh, Hopefully in the future we'll get some updates from Will, but the Ultramarines charity army for Nova Open, you know, God willing, will still be around. Uh, all that, that money that you guys send us also helped us purchase the models to uh, make that army. So, again, thank you very much. And finally, our Centurion tier. We have Aaron Maynard, Garrett Lowe, Travis Smith, Duncan, and Emily O'Hare. Thank you all so much for being patrons this month. Uh, you will get stickers in the mail shortly. If uh, if you'd like to follow us, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at RR30K Podcast. You can go to Instagram at Remembrancers Retreat. Uh, RR30K.com is our website. And if you want to... Bah, bah, bah. Yeah, if you want to leave us a voicemail, 1929Heresy1 is our Google Voice if you want to leave an email there. You can also do email at remembrancersretreat at gmail.com. Check out our Teespring account. I think it's teespring.com forward slash rr30k podcast. If not, I'll leave a link in the description. And with that, my name is Jesse. I'm here with Austin. Everyone stay safe. And we'll see you next time. Keep those dice rolling. Bye. Bye.